the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Welcome to the podcast edition of Maximum Growth Live, the number one program for lawyers who want to grow their practices. Each week, our hosts, Seth Price and Jay Ruain, tackle the fundamental questions about how to grow the profit and profitability of your law firm. To watch the program live, submit your questions and hear the latest episode. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Facebook for our live show. Maximum Growth Live is a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Maximum Growth Live. I am one of your hosts, Jay Ruane, CEO of FirmFlex Social Media Marketing for Lawyers, as well as Ruane Attorneys, a criminal defense and civil rights firm in Connecticut. And I am just in Connecticut. I'm not all over the place. But with me, as always, my friend Seth, down there, Del Boca Vista, Florida still. How's the weather today, Seth? Raining? It looks it's like a little bit of rain. A little rain. It's the first rain in a while. All right, so let me ask you this. Do you wish you were back home in D.C. at Blue Shark or Price Benowitz where you've got uh, you know, your SEO firm and your law firm? Because uh, they don't have any rain now in, uh, in that area. No, we got, we got other issues in D.C. Um, <laughs> That's no, what I was going to say. Blue Shark, yeah, Blue Shark's all virtual right now. We, uh, you know, our, our millennial crowd didn't want to be in an office. We had bullpen situations. And so we're going to reconfigure post uh, – you know, post uh, COVID, um, law firm itself, you know, is a, is a mixed bag. But uh, basically, anybody who needs to be in the office needs to be in the office. But uh, you know, I am clearly not one of those people. <laughs> you're you're unnecessary at your law firm, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, we've got a great show today, Seth. We've got uh, another great guest. You know, all through January, we've been talking about coaching, the role of coaching, the role of consultants, how they can take your firm to the next level. And we've got a great guest, another great guest coming on the heels of Melissa Shanahan last week. Uh, but tell us a little bit about our guest today. Tim McKay is the founder of Vista. Vista is sort of one of those great powerhouse um, consulting groups. It focuses mostly on the contingency world, PI, MedMal, and things like that. But the, what he talks about, the fundamentals apply to everybody. He's really big on figuring out what your why is, what you're, what you're growing for, why, you know, what you're doing. And then once, uh, once he does that, they're just, they're, they've been big, way ahead of the curve on KPIs, 
Um, he's had legendary um, partners with him over the years, including Mickey Love uh, and others uh, who have helped build firms, some with some from within our tribe, some outside. But some of the largest players in the country have gone to to Tim and Vista to help them build and grow their firms. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. You know, plaintiff's PI is a little different from most other fee-for-service lawyer stuff because on the fee-for-service stuff, you're getting paid up front. You've got a, a little bit more of the sales thing that goes into it. Uh, but plaintiff's PI is sort of its own little industry. Uh, and there's a lot of consultants that work just on the plaintiff's PI. But the crazy thing about it is there's stuff to be learned for the fee-for-service law firm from the plaintiff's PI world that I think, you know, it crosses cool. barriers. And when you're not tapped into those people and you're not talking to those people because you think that you don't have much in common, you're really missing out on some great lessons that you can learn about scale, about growth, about operations. Uh, and I think this is a great opportunity for us to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And having and playing in both of these worlds, what he talks about, as you said, uh, he talks about the 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 you'll hear about the intake of cases and getting more cases and about getting more value for the cases. If, you, if you're not in the PI space, listen to it from the point of view, you still are getting in the cases. So that part applies no matter what. But instead of increasing the value, the thing I've been working about, talking about internally, and I think we should talk about on future shows is how do you get the time to produce that widget down? You're not going to increase the value of the case, but if you get a flat fee case and you can do it more efficiently, you'll be making more money. And I want that to be a theme on future shows. I love that. I love that. Okay, so what we're going to do right now, folks, is we're going to take a quick break. You'll hear from our sponsors. Of course, we are always syndicated on the Maximum Lawyer Media platform. Uh, you can catch us on the Maximum Lawyer podcast. You can catch us always on our own Facebook live show as well as our own standalone podcast. So there's plenty of opportunity for you to follow us. But for now, folks, take a few moments, hear from our sponsors. When we come back, you'll hear from Tim McKee from Vista uh, in our Max Growth interview. We'll be right back. The lawyers who will succeed in the next decade are the ones who are focusing on building their brands where people meet, and there is no place better to build your brand than on social media. With the FirmFlex DIY social media plan, hundreds of lawyers like you are using social media to build their brand and become the one lawyer in their community that people know, like, and trust. By spending even just five minutes a day on social media marketing, you can engage with hundreds or thousands of people in your local community who will need your services. By cultivating a network of followers, you build a book of business that you can market to the next decade and beyond. If you are looking for a solution to help you jumpstart your social media marketing, look no further than the DIY plan at GetFirmFlex.com. The DIY was created by a small firm lawyer for people just like you helping you connect with local people online and build your brand and engage people in the topics they want to talk about. All for under $100 a month. To find out more, visit GetFirmFlex.com. In this world today, if you want to grow your business, you want to grow your firm, you want to take on more cases and make a bigger impact, you have to have a digital blueprint. Statistically, throughout the time that we've been working with Blue Shark Digital, our law firm, the Atlanta Divorce Law Group, grew over 1,400%. Seth and his team have years of experience in this area. Blue Shark is truly a part of the firm, so I don't consider Blue Shark any different than the employees in my office.
Tim, great to have you here, founder of Vista Consulting. Uh, thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for uh, inviting me. I'm excited to be here. You know, we're doing a series with coaches, and I, I look at you as one of the leaders in the in the plaintiff's bar space. Uh, you've come inside our firm and many friends of mine and really helped us put um, systems and metrics in place, many of which um, are ones that you told us we needed, but that it took years before we could actually get to the point that we could implement. Talk to us about that process. You see inside of so many different firms, what is the process of sort of evaluating what people need and giving them a roadmap as far as how they can go about starting to put those things in place? Well, um, it's, I'll, I'll use an analogy. I'll use an analogy of a physical. Um, you know, if you go to the doctor, you get a physical and sometimes, you know, hey, my knee's hurting or my ankle's hurting, but, um, and, you, and you may actually have an idea why it's hurting. But without a doctor actually looking at everything and doing running some tests, they don't know whether, hey, you've got a torn meniscus or your left leg shorter than your right leg or, you know, it could be anything. So we are um, pretty much sticklers with assessing before we start giving anyone advice to try to understand where you are, um, where you are in your firm in regard to, uh, I'll use a word that may not be the exact right one, but sophistication in regard to how are you managing today? Do you have a number of people that, that, that help you manage? Um, and we also look at what, it, what um, phase you are in the life cycle of a firm. Are you a startup? Are you a firm that needs you know, a, a turnaround of some type? Uh, are you looking to simply realign a few things or are you sustaining success? I mean, you're already doing really well and you're one of those that really wants to keep pushing that envelope. And by the way, we love that. You know, I think that uh, even people in the first phase of startup, uh, if they're always looking for that next little acorn, if you will, that next little nugget, that, that crouton in the chopped salad, that's really, really good. Um, those are the, the ones that, that we can have a lot of effect with. So assess, find out where the issues are, and then attack those issues in such a way that, that give what we call early yardage, because no one wants to work a long, long time and you finally get it. So we kind of arrange our work with our clients to so, so that you can see progress. I mean, even if it's very, very small things, but once your team starts seeing, hey, you know what, they are, they're not gonna let this go. This is not a fly by night type things. They're gonna do it and we're gonna keep going. That's where we find the success. So long-winded answer to a short question. <clears throat> yeah, and you've been way ahead of, you know, you were sort of way ahead of the curve for many of us. I mean, there were established uh, longtime firms with KPIs and digging into stuff that now, at least with our community, we've, we've sort of spent much more time, you know, as our firms develop, being able to dig into them. One of the things that, I, that I've seen is as the case management software has gotten more robust, that some of the things that before took act of God that you were pretty good at putting together are now more attainable to us mortal lawyers that are trying to put our firms in the best stead. You speak a little bit to that about where we are today as far as what is available, I want to say off the shelf, but what are some of the, based on some of the main uh, case management softwares, what, and again, we could start with uh, plaintiff's firms and then broaden the, the answer from there, but what is, what's available to people today that, that might not have been if they sort of looked into software a decade ago? 
Well, a decade ago, just about everything was server-based, you know, um, on-premises. The, the cool people say it's on-prem. You know, if you have a server on-premises and your electricity goes down or something like that, then, then you're, you're kind of out of luck. But everything is, seems to be migrating to the cloud where you don't have those type issues and people can work from it everywhere, which is great. You have uh, apps on your phone. I'm picking up my phone. Um, there, um, it, it, it's easier today. But I will also say, and this is not a slap in any way, shape or form at the newer case management systems, that, that they are built to be what they say they are, which is case management systems. They are very good at that. Now, um, our plugin has been to help them become practice management systems, and some are better than others. And now, adding those reports in there that you can get out and use to actually manage your firm. Now, whether plaintiff or other type firm, that doesn't matter. It's we we always say we want the data. We don't necessarily have to pe be the people to provide it. So, um, and and lots of every firm is different. We've been in, as, as you said, a lot of firms. We've been over 150 firms in the U.S. and Canada, and not one of them that we walked in. We said this is a duplicate of X because they're all nuances. They're different people. They're tweaks on systems and processes. And what we've tried to do is just take those best practices and meld them, if you will into a, a process of advising, but that still goes back to assessment. Until we know where the problem is, you know, we can't really advise. I often say it's like jello. Sometimes you can push down over here and it'll come up over here. So that's why that holistic approach, uh, in our opinion, is, is a way to go. So case management systems, absolutely excited that the new ones are there. They are more robust, um, but your team still needs training on consistency. Uh, because if you don't put things in it consistently, no matter what, it's that old garbage in, garbage out um, um, uh, verbiage, right? So being consistent and then monitoring is is the way to go. And I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to shut up. Uh, it's it's important to us that we look at two types of reports: the scoreboard reports and then diagnostic reports. Now I'll I'll give you a contrast. Scoreboard just means Hey, just what's going on. We're winning or losing, right? You know, our, our conversion ratio is 93% plus, but that does not tell us if Susie is 99% and Billy is 86%. Those are diagnostic reports. So digging in, being able to say, hey, we're winning, but who's blocking or tackling or not blocking or tackling and how can we coach them? That's the, um, the import of data. And I think, you know, a lot of things touched on data in, data out that, that I know we've struggled with is it's one thing we're finally getting those metrics in place, but then you're looking at, there's a whole non-sexy part, which is, can you get your employees to get the data in in a disciplined way so that you can make the, you, the data that you then reflect upon is meaningful on the one hand. And I think the other thing is there's so much data, you know, a lot of us have been focused recently on traction and trying to get, move our rocks. And I almost feel like, do you look at data similarly that if you look at everything, you'll get nowhere or is, you know, are there certain pieces that you like should be first attempting to conquer before you attempt to broaden that so that you don't, you know, keep spinning your wheels? 
Yeah, to keep going with my sports analogy, absolutely. Um, uh, Vince Bart Lombardi walked in and said, this is a football. So we start with basics. You know, what are the basics? And we've got, you know, with investing with plaintiff firms, the reports that we like to get to, to, to start with, if you will. And I could hit a few of those. But um, it always is. It's interesting that once the basics are in place, then the the quarterback, which in this case being the owner or the managers of the firm, they look at that and say, hey, if we can do this, we need to know this. And things begin to kind of um, uh, spread out, if you will, more. And, and they're very custom. You know, we, we work with firms and again in the plaintiff world that are that are more referral type firms. We have high volume advertising firms. We have very boutique um, targeted mail mal med mal type firms different ones like that. And they they still all need the basics, but those individual kind of one-off type things are very custom to the uh, to the firm we're working with. You know, before I head off to Jay for some further questions that may go beyond sort of the personal injury experience, um, one of the things that I, that I analogize to when you came into our firm years ago, it's almost like bringing a therapist into a family and seeing all of your dirty laundry. What are some of the obstacles that people have to get over in order to be able to open the kimono? Because there, you know, when you're starting out, there's so many things that you're trying to spin together to get this off the ground. Um, you know, what are some of the things where somebody who's considering working with a consultant or coach that like, what are some of the, the things that like, you don't know what you don't know? Where do you usually find that you can add the quickest value coming in and seeing what's going on? Yeah, I can, I can usually set we are, we are past that um, obstacle to entry if we're there. Because, you know, if, if someone is, I'll say, brave enough to let, you know, a Yahoo like me um, get their nose under their tent and start looking around, um, then they're, they're, they're pretty brave to begin with. And I'm not saying because it's us, I'm saying because it's, it's any consultant or any advisor from outside that, that comes in and look, we can only see what we can see. You don't know what you don't know. You're, you're right. Um, so once we're past that, then it becomes a discussion. And from, from our standpoint, where do we, we find, you know, the most uh, yardage? Well, uh, it's interesting that one of the questions, the very first questions we ask is, what do you want to be? You know, what, you know, give me a vision of your firm. I mean, is it big? Is it small? Is it targeted? Is it highly um, um, uh, commercial advertising? And, or is it uh, using the client experience cycle as your, your method to attract or referrals? All those things, once we find those out, then we can tailor, you know, our work to there. But, you know, generally, well, it's not generally, there's no doubt there's only two ways to grow, um, I'll say a plaintiff firm, which is get more cases and increase the value of the cases. Now, there's a lot of other subsets of that, and we work on all of those. But first of all, we've got to identify, you know, marketing in place, intake in place, getting good conversions when people are calling, are you converting them? You know, that's the more cases part, right? And then shifting right into case management, what are the systems and processes in place at a firm to add value to those firms? Uh, I mean, to those to those cases. So, you know, we are always, no matter what we're talking about, if we cannot trace it back to one of those two areas of growth for the firm, then we're not doing our job. 
Um, now we can get off on a little bit of subsets and all those kind of things when we're we're talking about HR, for example, or having the right people in place. Um, is your strategy right? You know, the strategy is kind of the what we're going to do. And then we talk a lot about tactics. But if we don't know your strategy, our tactics can be off. And the tactics uh, meaning the how we do things, right? Infrastructure being the who. So there's, there's a lot of um, interplay, if you will, with the who, what, and how. Uh, the why, obviously, is the big thing, which is the vision. But um, <clears throat> once we identify areas uh, that they're weak and our work is inherently critical, we, uh, we basically attack that and say, okay, what is the issue? What are the problems? Where are the bottlenecks? And we're consultants. We're not, we're not subcontractors. So we don't come in there and do the work. What we do is help you get a set of tools, help you with the systems and processes and coach your team. And with those reports that we talked about earlier, that's simply an accountability system. And um, you mentioned something about getting your team to do things. And once you get a mind shift of with your team that not only do I need to do the work as a team member it, of my in the business type work of say a paralegal, you know, contacting your clients or getting med records or whatever that happens to be, part of what they have to be judged on now is their, their usage of that case management system and their consistency on it. Because if we go to someone and say, hey, you know, we noticed that, um, uh, well, we'll say our criteria is to contact our clients every two weeks or, you know, whatever your, your criteria is. And we noticed that you haven't been able to keep up with that. And as soon as someone says, oh, I did it, but I didn't write it down <laughs> or I didn't enter it, then all of a sudden light bulbs kind of go off with them that, hey, I'm being judged not only on what I do, but how I report it, because we can't manage if we don't have that data. We're just guessing. So. Anyway, another long-winded answer. <laughs> Jay? You know, it's it's really interesting to me that you talk about if you if you did it and you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. You know, that's that's a skill set that we <laughs> often use in, in trial work because when those records don't reflect what we know was done, but they didn't write it down, sometimes we can blow a hole through uh, a, a witness's testimony. So it's, it's something that certainly translates to law. Uh, um, one of the things that's a challenge for a lot of people in our audience is that there really isn't any traditional training for lawyers on how to run a business. We certainly don't get it in law school. Most of us, you know, have liberal arts style uh, undergraduate degrees, history, poli sci, English, uh, that type of thing. Um, so there really isn't a strong background in business sense when it comes to lawyers. But you've had the opportunity to work with, you know, hundreds of lawyers in, in your time. What sort of skills are best to be developed by a lawyer who's looking to grow his practice or her practice. What, you know, what, what are the skills that you come in and you say, wow, you know how to do this. Awesome. Now let's amplify it. Mm -hmm. uh, basically it's the management skills. It, it really is. It's management working with people. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to something you said about blowing a hole in something. If it's not documented in trial, what, what we've noticed is a lot of times lawyers are very, very good at finding that hole and finding what the issue is. What they're not good at is find the solution to fix it because you don't have to do that in trial. You just have to create doubt. You have to create, you know, these things. And so from our perspective, you know, what we're if we're different in any way is we're always looking for that next best solution. And um, I'll, I'll, 
you know, an attorney that hires us, uh, for example, to come in and take a look at their business, we have to determine fairly quickly, do they want to be a, a lawyer lawyer, you know, where you're working cases and go to court? Or are you the guy who, who knows how to do all that, but it, for lack of a better term, has is, is stepped out of that role into the manager leader role? And um, sometimes, you know, that's a hard step to take. And I'm not saying that it's, it's right any different. I, I would say the same thing about an automobile repair shop owner. You know, he started because he was really good at pulling wrenches and getting and diagnosing and all those things. But he's so good that he goes and opens up his own place. And then he's got to deal with payroll and Cindy, Susie answering the phone and all of those things. And you get out of your skill set. So it's just realizing what are, are determining what you're good at and what you want to do. And that's part of the discussion that we have going in because we we found um, lawyers who, yes, I want to run my business. I want to do this. Or, you know what? I really enjoy the courtroom part, part of it. So that we then say, okay, see a, a, an operations person, someone to do those things you don't want to do. So going through these thought processes, and if you can't tell, this is the assessment part again. You know, we can't just come in and say, you need to do this and you need to do that, do that by osmosis. There's questions and thoughts that, that go into this and, and determining those things. So uh, I hope I hit your question. <laughs> you, you, you did. And, and it's interesting to me because I think that's one of the things that a person like you can sort of bring to the table is actually getting people to commit to what their vision is. Um, and this is a conversation that Seth and I have had about my own practice and his practice. I think he's insane to want to have 40 or 50 lawyers because for me, that vision, I, I definitely do not want that, you know, uh, and Seth wants to pull me out of law, but I still like showing up to the courthouse every now and then, uh, because I like getting in, in the weeds, so to speak. Um, but I don't want to do it every day as a grind. So I think that's a wonderful thing that a person like you can actually force a lawyer to sort of commit to and and recognize that those ideals may change. You know, where I am today, it may be different where I'm, I was 10 years ago or where I'm going to be in 10 years and being able to sort of uh, pivot is, is important. And the next, my, my only other question for you before I turn it back over to Seth is going to be, there is an adage that I've heard, um, what got you here won't get you there. Uh, and do you find that there's a lot of sort of resistance from lawyers who have built essentially from nothing and maybe gotten to, you know, low seven figures to say, no, 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 I can do this. I want to keep growing when you say to them, hey, look, if you want to get to the next level, these are your strategic hires and they're going to be doing things without your involvement. And the lawyer typically, as lawyers do, want to micromanage and want to control everything. How do you help lawyers get beyond that so that they truly can grow? Because there are lawyers at the $200,000 mark that are maxed out, and what's going to get them to the next level is something else, just like there are lawyers at the $2 million and at the $20 million revenue level that are maxed out, and what's, going to, what's gotten them there won't get them to the next level. How do you break that? Um, ego of the lawyer to get them to embrace what's truly necessary to go to the next level? Well, first of all, once again, they've invited me to come talk to them for some reason. And it's up to me to tactfully find those things out. I am not trying to influence what they want to do. I'm just trying to find out what it is that they want to do. 
Um, you know, a good friend of mine, Mickey Love, uh, who's a C, who was a COO, she now runs an advertising agency. Um, she had she made a comment off the cuff one day: "You have to let go to grow." And you know, I've kind of taken that, and and uh, I haven't owned it. I, I gave it to Mickey, but uh, it's um, it, it's it's true. To be able to really grow and scale, we can't keep doing what we're doing. There's only so many yards of fence, and I grew up in the country that we could build in a day, unless we had other people to help. That's just just the way it goes. And and, it, and again, there's no different in in the legal industry. Uh, you can't do everything. You, you you know, and some people can do more than others, and that that's you know, we're not trying to judge your productivity. What we do is say, where do you want to be? That goes all the way back again to what's the vision? Do you want to have 40 lawyers or 50 lawyers? Or are you totally happy where you are at five or six or whatever the number is? Just let us know so we can help optimize you in that position. We're not judging what they want. We're trying to, number one, determine and then op optimize. And notice I didn't say maximize because maximize will kill people. You know, if we're trying to make the um, the last nickel out of everything, you know, uh, my goal personally is not to be the richest guy in the graveyard. I want to enjoy what I do. I want to help people get where they want to go. First, identifying what that is, because a lot of times we don't think about it. I just want to grow. Well, we don't think about what those steps are to get there. Yeah. And, you know. We, we, we walk into law firms and they'll say, hey, I don't think I'm making enough money for the work that I'm doing. And that, that may be true because you're not scaling well. And then we have, have a whole different discussion and we look at systems and processes. So I don't want you to think that Vista is the only folks out there that, that can do this. It's, but it's our thought process. It's our, it's our MO. It's in our blood to say, what do you want? How can we build a roadmap to help you get there? What tools do you need? What people do you need? How's it going to work? And that's that's just that's our bag. Boy, I'll tell you that, that idea of that idea of maximizing will kill you is something that I think needs to be embraced by a lot of people in our audience because you know you definitely do need to enjoy the, enjoy this whole journey and and trying to maximize everything uh, really may may be a detriment. Seth, I know you have a follow up. What do you got for us? No, it sounds like you, you, there's a two part. There's almost like a business shrink part. And then once you sort of assess what the Mishragas is, where they want to be, which very often could be different between partners. And as you alluded to a moment ago, Jay, I think that can change by the decade. Two questions. One, do you ever anticipate, based you've done this long enough, that somebody gives you an answer, if it's a 45-year-old client, saying, okay, you say this now, but is this really going to be what you want in five or 10 years based on your very young kids now? based on a bunch of factors. Can you tell if you've done this long enough now that even though people do tell you what you want, what they want, you take them at face value, I'm sure, that you sort of have seen that curve that while you may want to grind at one point, that there's a, a point where people do wish to take their foot off the gas pedal. And how do you sort of plan accordingly so that there's structure in place to allow people to do that? Um, I'm, I'm, I haven't got the clairvoyancy down to 100% yet, but sometimes you get the feeling. You know, there are very hard charging people out there sometimes that that are, you know, I'm 60 years old that are that are younger than me that and I get it. I was there and I don't my goals are not quite the same. Uh, I don't think anybody's is. If you talk to me at, at 14 or 24 or 34, I mean, these things change. But we we talk about them 
and we say, okay, can you see that, that you may change later, but let's get you there. And we'll make that decision. So again, it's, it's, um, I'm an old tax guy, you know, CPA by training. And we always say we work with the laws as they are now. We can't really necessarily anticipate everything that's going to be coming. We do the best we can, but you know, we want to work with what's there now. But that doesn't mean, um, Seth, that we don't look into the future and say, you know, that's probably going to change or whatever. But um, the one thing that is consistent and, 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 I'm, and it's a pleasing thing for us is uh, that lawyers really want to do good job for their client. And the beauty, and I, I'll say of plaintiff firms in most cases, is the better the, the client does, the better the lawyer does. Uh, it's just, it, it's, it's um, a tit for tat, a yin and yang type thing, which I, I really dig. Now, I want to say one other thing that that I'm more of the strategy guy with our group. We have a group of what I call thoroughbreds that are operational tacticians. That once we get along with them too, they're, they're not all all tactics, but once we get that direction, they are really good at saying, "Hey, these are the tools, and this is the training, and this is the reports, and this is how we're you know." And and it's just it's like the Green Bay sweep. You know, you're going to block here, and you're going to block here, you can block here. But look, when we toss the ball to the back, they're going to run the daylight. So we, we, uh, we kind of work our, our, our methods like that. You know, we have a lot of listeners and viewers and guests, like a Michael McCready, who's been a guest, he's a listener, who have sophisticated firms and you've worked with them in the past. But we also have a lot of, a lot of viewers and listeners that um, are much earlier on the curve. Using the, you've, having seen the inside of 150 plus firms, what are some of the mistakes that people make? So sort of like, you don't know what you don't know. What are some of the things that the bigger sort of obstacles that if you wish that people knew earlier on, so by the time they get ready for you, they, they sort of have smoothed out some of those things. Give me, you know, two or three things that you wish people focused on sooner rather than later. I think it's the, um, uh, uh, Michael Gerber wrote a book, The, uh, the E-Myth, which is about systems just, and yes, trust. I, he was just a guest a couple weeks ago on the show. Look, he, I, re I read his book. I think it was in 92 or three. I, I can't remember. I, I'm going to get that wrong, but it changed my life because it, it told me that I didn't have to build every yard of that fence that I was talking about that. If I want, you know, if I want, then I need to think past what I'm going to do. You know, when I sit down at my desk uh, as the leader of the firm uh, or leader of, of, of any business, it's, Thinking past that, uh, going in there and working hard is really great, but you should always, I call what Vista does sometimes is kind of grab people by the hair and we pull them up out of that, that ditch and we say, okay, are we really digging in the right, the direction you want to go? You're digging like hell, you know, you're, you're going, but is it the right direction? And, um, I think, I don't think it's, it's just an openness to that. And once it's explained, I haven't had anybody said that's stupid or, or anything like that. It's just that sometimes we're all so busy digging that we're not, sometimes we get off track. And um, that's what, I mean, again, we hope it's Vista that you call to take a look, but, but that's what coaches do. It's like anything else. You know, the Michael Jordan had coaches. Uh, every, you know, every great athlete, every, every great business had mentors and coaches. And uh, we've just been lucky enough uh, to, to see a lot <laughs> and, and said, you know, don't do that. If you step in that, you can't shake it off your shoe. So we need to go this direction. So it, it, so that's if there's there's not anything really frustrating, uh, Seth. Um, 
you know, you know frustrating. Uh, I'm trying to ask going, if you're somebody who's not, you know, they, they may not be ready for a full Vista engagement. What are the things you wish that people thought about and maybe started working on just, you know, they're, they're, they're digging. They, they may, they may realize they, they need to put a team together, but as they do that, like we saw you, uh, you know, on, on, the, on our journey and realized, Hey, we had to make a bunch of different changes. There was good stuff going on, but these are the things we wanted to tweak. What are some of those things that if people did before they got to the point that they were retaining you, it would be really great for them to start thinking about those, those themes in general. Part of probably I take it is what do you want? That's obviously uh, I'm hearing that loud and clear. Um, mm -hmm. but, are there things as far as the order in which you bring things on? You mentioned operations directors. What are some of those things that if you want to get to the point where you can fully take advantage of what Vista has to offer, that you may want to start putting these things in place so that you, you know, have more in, in place, more, more for you to work with rather than saying, hey, you, this would be great to get in place. I, I think it's it's simply systems and processes in every functional area of your business. You know, uh, it is. It, it, that's, <laughs> I, was I love thumbs systems. Up. You don't know it's Jay, because, but he's Mister. I'm sorry, Seth. Go ahead. I was going to say you don't know Jay well, but Jay is Mister. Systems. That's what he professes. He lives. He breathes. That is what we talks about. We talk about here on a weekly basis. Well, it's scalable, right? There's best practices and then there's better practices, but also, Jay, I hope you look for that innovation. And that's a lot of times what we can bring because sometimes we can get in a rut with those systems and processes, right? You, be, in a, you can chop a tree down with a hammer, it's just not effective or efficient, right? So, but is there, did you know that there's an ax? Did you know now there's a chainsaw? Did you know now there's a big tree cutter? Did you, you know, these are the things that I think we can get so tied up in. So. It's looking at systems all the way from what's our marketing system? You know, is it is it digital? Is it billboard? Is it whatever? And it doesn't, you know, whatever it is, but what is your system? And are you tracking the success of those systems? And then looking at, okay, well, if we're marketing and our, I'll, I'll say the phone's ringing, which really is a probably an old way to say that we've got leads coming in now. So we've got leads coming in now. Are we capturing the, the, the ones that meet our firm's criteria, are we capturing those to get them to clients? And then you track that data. So if there's one word, I would say it's data, but then it's, it's hard to say data without uh, the, the right workflow to get accurate data and for your team to buy in and understand the importance of it. And sometimes, um, sometimes it's better to have people from the outside do that. That's all I can say because you know, it's like my, my older daughter played um, tennis in college. My younger daughter played volleyball. I, I didn't know much about volleyball, but I could coach tennis. I could help her. But a lot of times she needed a, a, a coach that wasn't me. That's someone that could say, hey, you know what? This is what I've seen out there from coaching all these people. And this is what works. And those are the things that mean something. Is that self-serving? Maybe so, but it's the truth. <laughs> so uh, I've seen it in action. No. Great, Jay. You have any final questions? 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really like some of the things that you're talking about here. I think there's a, a lot of takeaways for our audience in that it really is, you know, number one, you have to have an identity of where your identification of where you want to be before you start really building towards that and bringing in an outside source. One of the things that you just said is, especially when you're dealing with the personalities of lawyers in an office, there's a se- element of ego that goes with it. Whether or not you're a no. solo with, with no. <laughs> a solo with some associates with you, you've got uh, some contract partners or some profit partners or even equity partners, um, you're going to be dealing with a lot of different personalities and a lot of different approaches to the business. And bringing in someone like yourself takes away the personal interaction part of it uh, and makes it a little more objective even though you're bringing your subjective skill set to it it's it's an outside there's kind of clinical not that you're not passionate about it but it sort of removes the personality from decisions that have to be made and i think that's something that our audience can really gain from from this conversation is that sometimes the third party can help you move to the next level simply because you are taking the the emotion out of critical business decisions and that's how good businesses can operate don't you think one of the things, one of the questions we ask when we get there to, to firms of, of, of really any size, you know, are there any sacred cows here? And I'll tell you what I mean by that, and you may know. Are there people here that you know, for whatever reason, may not be the most productive in their area, but they're going to be here forever? It's my aunt. It's my look, or whatever it is, and it could be, and look, I'm not going to say that there's not a place for sacred cows. We just want to put them in a pasture that doesn't hurt the, the flow of the, uh, of, of the entire herd, okay? Um, but we need to know those things. And, and again, we've got a, a firm and um, that, that there is a person there that, that, that is not the best at the job that they do, but they are the glue in the firm that is the rah-rah person. There's an intrinsic value to this particular person that that the object, objectively we cannot measure it. And I, I'll go as far as to say in a lot of ways that the, mo- the, the things that are most subjective in our lives are probably the most important. And I'll give you an example. How much do you love your wife? Don't say a seven ever. Okay, it's about a seven, you know. Uh, okay, uh, you know, it's hard to objectify a lot of things, you know, passion is one of those things. And, uh, you know, Mike Singletary should have never been a good linebacker for, for the, um, for the bears, um, can't measure his heart. So, uh, it's the same way, but you can ask questions and find out. And that's, that's, what's fun to us. It really is. I, I, I finally, this is a big moment. I finally got to put a label on, on a, a very valuable team employee that, I, I realize is now a sacred cow. I did not did not understand. You just I, I've now seen the light. You know they they may make mistakes and they may not be the best at what they do and they may not be the fastest, but they they are glue and that you know the the clients love them and the team loves them and it's a, a sort of an important character in that place and it and it's bizarre because when you sit there and you're sort of looking at the when you you know if you work with Vista you're going to see the metrics and that person's not going to come in first on efficiency. Um, but uh, there's there's extra ex- extrinsic pieces there for sure, right? And and as I said, when I what I meant by put them in a in a in a pasture where they can't hurt you is have some systems around them that will double check those things and and, and, oh, and exactly. fix it. So again, it, it it's hard to you know hey we want a players in every position right and we all do, 
but there's a bell curve out there that a lot, you know, it's just reality. And we're not, you know, we want the, 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 the highest A player, the highest level player we can get. But, you know, everyone is just simply not an A player. So how can we get those systems and have them understand the play so they can play very well with the team? And um, that's a, um, a unique um, skill set to be able to recognize those things. And uh, sometimes we get too close to them, but quite honestly, we have to back up. I mean, I have mentors. I have people that I call and say, am I thinking about this right? Uh, we call it sanity checks in Vista. You know, let me, I, I need a sanity check. <laughs> yeah. Great that, stuff. That's Great awesome. Stuff. Well, my final question is that, that, that I've seen uh, internally, and I saw this with Snapshot when you gave, gave us 360. And, you know, when you start, and Jay and I talk about this, you know, you may have people on the bus and you just alluded to it who may not be the ideal people. And there's a bunch of reasons for that, right? You may not know better. You may not be able to have the gravitas to attract the better talent. You may not be paying enough, who, who knows? But how do you sort of, when you're on that journey and you see, and you sort of like, you know, in one sense as an entrepreneur, you have to put on blinders and say, this is what I got, I'm working with it. But I've been able to see as a snapshot, like today, our team infinitely better than what we had five years ago and infinitely better than when we first started. Um, how do you sort of know when it's time to upgrade it's not a sacred cow but there are times when somebody's not bad like i i look back at sort of the um the fat you know the the president of ge who had uh you know his his theory of the bottom 10 percent well, every year you know pushing mm -hmm. it up how do you advise people in a, in, in, a, in a law firm practice to do that because a lot of us wait for that person just to drop out through natural attrition but i found that when when possible the upgrading you know you obviously want to train and motivate and not have people fall to the bottom but how do, what's your philosophy as far as upgrading a team along the journey? I, I'll give you two, and Jay, you're gonna like this, two systems, two things to, to do here that I think will help a lot. One is, is um, more subjective than the other. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, every year, I, I think you should do a performance attitude analysis on every team member. And, and you know, whatever their performance is, if it's, if it's a um, objective metric, to, to look at that objective metric, if it's subjected, how do you feel, if you will, that's what subjected is. But the attitude part is very important. If they've got low performance, bad attitude, that's the ones that probably should not be on your team. But that's system one. System two is if you think you have a, perform a, a team member that is not performing well, uh, then I propose you, you should, before you start looking at them, ask yourself three questions. Have I given them the tools to do their job? Have I trained them on those tools? And have I clearly explained the expectations of them? A lot of times we do one and two and we forget to explain the expectation. So they have no target. Okay. So so if, if you've got someone you think is performing um, under par, okay, and you then look at yourself and say, I've given them the tools, I've trained them, they know what the expectations are. There's only two reasons then why they're not performing, okay? They're either unwilling or unable, okay? And if they're unwilling, we need to examine the attitude. If they're simply unable and their attitude is really good, I propose that we try to find another place on, on, on your bus. If they're you know, giving it their all and they're simply cannot get there, and if not, unfortunately, you have to free up their future. And that's not something that we, we take lightly at all. But what I, what I don't like is someone underperforming and, and, and we come in and we realize, well, heck, they don't have the tools. 
They don't, they haven't been trained and they have no idea what your true metrics are for them to achieve. And we think they're underperforming. <laughs> so I hope that helps a little bit in how that's, to look That's at great. It. I, no. I love the line, free up your future. Right, but I, there are a couple of things. What I just uh, the 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 next last question, but because one of the things that I, that I've seen as you as you talk about that, there are two things that I that, that come to mind. One is people become there's institutional knowledge that's gained, and you end up like their value goes up, even though some of those things aren't there. And I, I as I think about this, and you know, again, in a perfect world. You do that. You said something. So I'm giving you two things to talk about. One is that. And the second is we, and I don't know whether as a firm, when we have people that are underperforming and we're doing a poor man's version of your analysis, right? And we say, okay, it's not right there, but we try to find a different seat. We've had a very bad track record of getting those to be successful. Some horrible, mm -hmm. some mediocre, but never great. Is there, you know, and you do that because you like the person and plus you need talent in other places. Are you know, are people that are, do you find that people can successfully relocate people? I mean, again, there's always an exception, but statistically, is it a statistically, is it a likelihood that's going to work or are you basically doing a slow exit uh, first? And then secondly, the, the, the second last uh, piece of what I addressed there, as far as institutional knowledge and how you balance that when you have somebody underperforming. I don't like the idea of a slow exit. The, you know, no, uh, you know, we want to, if someone truly has, has a great attitude, but for some reason cannot perform in the spot that they're in. Number one, uh, I, I even have to go back before that. How are they hired? How are they onboarded? You know, those are systems, Jay, you know, um, and, and somehow we must have missed something if we've gotten someone in a position that is performing poorly if we've done all the things we need to do. But if you've done that, and for whatever reason, something has caused them to not perform well, I mean, we need to ask the questions, why? Is something going on in your life? You know, is there, there's things, and I, I believe that's our responsibility as leaders and owners to find those things out. You know, because there are different, I call them yardsticks. You know, money is one yardstick. Um, uh, um, the right word is not happiness, it's contentment is the one that I really like. I am perpetually positively discontent. And what does that mean? That means that I, I'm pretty happy with where I am, but I know I could be better. I know I could do better. I know I could lead better. I know I could whatever better. Okay, but can you move those people? I've seen it work. Now I've seen it not work too. So, I, but I fall on the side of always giving it a shot. And then, you know, again, you get them in a new position, you have to go through that same process. And if they are incompetent uh, at that, and I'm not using incompetent in a totally bad way here, they just can't do the job, um, then, you know, they, you may have to free up their future. I, I, you know, find them someplace where they can do well. And we can do everything we can with the, the firms and people that we work with to help them find that place. Because sometimes it's just not a fit. I hate it because that, because that means we screwed up in hiring and onboarding. <laughs> And what you had one more part of that, and I forgot what it was. Yeah, and the other what question was, the was just the balance. There are times when I'd love to upgrade, but then the, the person's stock rises based on institutional knowledge. Now, if I was a genius of systems like Jay, maybe I wouldn't be as wedded to somebody with institutional knowledge, but there's still value, especially in the plaintiff's practice, where you know it's just you know, there's nothing that beats knowing a firm's culture, identity, personalities, clients, 
and you sort of you you end up becoming stuck with somebody who may be subpar but has but has you because they've been there over time. I I say that this that is a subjective case by case. I don't think I can give you a, a, a rock solid rule on that. I, I've seen it, and uh, you know, um, a lot of times people we we want rock solid rules, and they're just aren't for these very subjective things. But that does they're hard. Subjective things are just harder. But that doesn't mean we should not attack them. Try to understand them, and then make a well informed decision in that case. And that's that's all we argue for. What we don't like to see is these knee jerk reactions without going through the thought process. And uh, yeah, we I could I could go to get off on another tangent about being self aware and emotionally intelligent and how you recognize these things about yourself, which are which are important to to leaders. And um, you know, not to make those knee jerks to slow down. Let's let's think this through. Um, so I, I, not a good answer, yeah, but Tim, it's the, this, is, this, is, this has been great. I appreciate yeah. personally the way you've pushed me to elevate my practice. And I know you've done it for a lot of friends and mentors of mine, uh, like, you know, like Richard Harris and, and others. So thank you for coming and sharing your wisdom with us. We look forward to uh, seeing you, having you back in the future. Thank you so much. You, you guys are very welcome. But I do have to say again, it's not just me. I have a team behind me that, is is unbelievably better than me and they push me and that's what's cool so that's what you want by the way is to get a team build a team that pushes you so I, i'm lucky enough to be there so thank you a lot Seth. That's that was mark very nice. a good leader right there giving it to all his team that's phenomenal thank you so much for being with us we appreciate it have a wonderful afternoon you're very welcome thank you guys Bye. anytime Hey, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. The Guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Guild members get so many benefits, including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the Guild to check out all the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode. Well, Seth, you know, I, I am slowly getting to the point where I'm thinking that uh, it's time for me to engage a coach or a consultant or somebody to help us take it to the next level. Because not to say that we've stagnated. I mean, we've gotten to where I, I'm comfortable. I'm happy with revenue. I mean, I'm not happy with COVID revenue, but I'm happy. I was happy with revenue beforehand. I knew there was opportunity for growth. But I think, you know, some of the things that I heard from Melissa and now from Tim uh, is is I need to be purposefully mindful of what I can do over the next couple of years to really get me to a point of the vision that's in my head. Uh, and I need to make sure that I share that vision with my the other lawyers in my office. What were your takeaways from the conversation? Well, look, I, I've known the process. I, I've used it. I've had, you know, seen people many steps ahead of me that have, have leveraged it. I'll add an extra piece of value, but wait, there's more. So not only is, is he great at figuring out what you want and then helping with KPIs and systems, but the thing that I thought that was really unique that they do is they actually come to the firm, you didn't even talk about this, and interview your staff and your management and figure out what you have, almost like an inventory. And you think you know what you have, and you, you know, you're, you're not, you know, hopefully way, way off, but there are strengths and weaknesses that are really important that are sitting right beneath all of our noses. 
And one of the things that I thought was great about um, my my work with them was having them come in and giving me sort of an undercover boss type thing, you know, like where you're you're, you're basically figuring out what people are saying when you're not there. And, uh, you know, to me, that was very valuable. It was, it was transparent. They were telling them why they were doing it. But it's amazing just asking people their opinions uh, with a third party, uh, what you can extract and the valuable information you can have about figuring out what what is solid to build on and where you really need to put work in. Yeah, and I love that phrase, free up your future. Uh, it's, it's a nicer way to tell somebody that they're fired. Uh, and it's definitely something that you can think about. And I, and I like the idea of having somebody do an interview be, with, with, with your staff to see where their, where their vi- own ver- vision is. Because I think, you know, if you're growing your firm and you've got a good, talented, you know, some A players or B plus player lawyers on your team uh, and your vision and their vision uh, don't align, uh, they may exit and then you're losing all of that talent and all that institutional knowledge like you talked about. Um, and, and I think that's something that you need to, you know, start having those, those uncomf- not necessarily uncomfortable conversations, but it, for, for certain types of people like myself, those are uncomfortable conversations. I don't like to dig deep with people. It's not my nature. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about business all day long, but I don't want to talk about your hopes and your dreams because doesn't really interest me it's my personality it's not who i am but this is some really good stuff and 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 i'm definitely going to rewatch it uh because there's a couple things that i want to implement with my team uh and just start planning for as we come out of this uh covid stuff to really make sure that i've got things dialed in because like i said you know 13 weeks comes pretty quickly 12 weeks comes pretty quickly and then the whole first quarter is done uh and so if you don't have you know concrete planning for these things it's easy to overlook them and just push them off and push them off and push them off and that's not good for your business all right so seth i think we're going to leave it with that what do you say sounds good all right another great week folks here on maximum growth live as always you can always check us out live here every thursday 3 p.m eastern on our live facebook show our podcast is also available on any standalone podcast platform google amazon apple Podcasts. it's all there spotify as well and you could always catch us syndicated in the maximum lawyer media family but for now i am jay ruane of firm flex see uh, a search and search engine optimization that's that guy over there that's seth price i you know i've been it's a long day you gotta give me a break um but uh he's blue shark i'm firm flex i should get myself a blue i got the firm flex behind me over here but uh i gotta get myself a blue shark hat maybe you guys can send me up one and we'll wear matching hats next week seth what do you say sounds good all right cool folks thanks for being with us i am jay ruane he is seth price we're max growth live thanks so much and we'll see you next week bye for now Thank you for listening to Maximum Growth Live. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast for the latest episodes and tune in live on Facebook every Thursday for our live show. For more information, visit Maximum Growth Live on Facebook or MaximumLawyer.com and be sure to share us with your friends.